0: You can up and try again.
1: Torah Resource presents The Rob and Caleb Show.
0: All aboard.
1: And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are Rob and Caleb.
2: What up, and shalom. Welcome to The Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, as always, a Rob Van Hopp. What up and shalom, Rob. Shalom. How's it going, brother? It's going wonderful. It feels like summer where I am. It felt like... It was summer. like 80 degrees yesterday or something. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, two days ago, it was like 70 here, and we were... Everyone like went out and bought fans, of course. And then yesterday, it was pouring again. So, that was awesome. I don't know why, but my computer right now is running extremely so, slow, so uh, there's been already a couple of glitches because it's going so slow, and uh, I'm trying to fix all that, but I don't know how to do that, so. All right, well, what up and shalom to everyone listening, what up and shalom to everyone in the chat room, it's good to see everyone there, uh, pardon me while I cough real quick. Um, yeah, happy Wednesday to everyone, or if you're listening to this on a Thursday or a different time. Happy whatever it might be to you as well. Um, we have a lot to talk about today. We could jump right into it, but I think what we're going to do instead, um, I'm not sure well hang on, let me first bring up some other things. like I said, my computer's running so slow. it's hard to uh, it's hard to navigate through anything right now because it's taking there's like so much lag time. Okay, so first I think the first thing that we should do, Rob, is uh, jump right in and open the mailbag
1: melt time the mail is here time.
2: that's right it is time for a little bit of mail first of all i want to address something we've neglected for the past probably three weeks we got a message from a guy named par i'm probably saying that wrong he's from sweden he actually lives uh, in a town that I think I traveled through when I was in Sweden. One of the three times that I've been there. And uh, are you saying we're international? We're international. That's right. And this
1: is an international affair. Right yes. Now.
2: And so his his name actually has the two dots over the A, and so it's so it's P A with the two dots R. And I don't know how to pronounce that. I think it's Par, but I could be wrong. Who knows? Um, so anyway. If I'm butchering your name Parr, i I deeply apologize. He wrote and he said uh that w- he's wondering about shaving the beard. Are we allowed to shave our beards and he he keeps making jokes that his neck beard is getting very itchy because we're we're not responding to him so let's address this first of all um on a very basic level the part in the uh the place in the Torah where it says that you're not allowed to shave the side growth of your beard it actually uses the word plow it's the same word that is used to plow a field um, I take this to mean that you're not allowed to scar yourself and there are I've done some research on uh, some of the cults in the ancient Near East. they would actually uh, cut themselves so much that the uh, in worship to their gods that the that the uh, hair wouldn't grow back so I take this to mean that – and I think that most rabbis do as well. And the reason why is because uh, it's just a fence that, that they say you're not allowed to uh, shave. Like you're not allowed to – they say you're allowed to cut with, with uh, scissors but not with razors. Um, and so they say as long as you can grab the hair, then you're fine. Um, I think that even that's a fence uh, because I think that as long as you're not uh, making it so hair can't grow back – that's what it's talking about. Rob, you wanna weigh in on that? Um
1: <laughs> I I didn't know if to go the serious route or the funny route. <laughs> well I'll, I'll go the funny route. Ra- the funny route I I think I uh it was a couple years ago, but it's out it's online. There was a, a short article I wrote about Matis Yahoo. Yeah. He's he was the he's the rapper guy who was a he was a Hasid. Hey, it's re- hey, 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 hey. It's reggae, not rap. Hello, Rob. <laughs> he was a hybrid of rap and, but, and it's not reggae; it's raga. No
0: I'm kidding. Oh,
1: anyway, no. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> he he talked about shaving his beard, like he was worried about shaving his beard. Oh uh, yeah, because yeah. because of all this kabbalistic significance of 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 the beard in uh, the Chabad movement. And he had he was like afraid, like what like what would happen, so yeah, we don't want to be superstitious about that um is our is our, did he say if he's married or not, what does his wife think
2: i I believe he is married yeah,
1: I wonder if she does she like his beard, you know, I don't know, does she want him to cut it I think. I don't have an opinion in terms of that he should or should not have a beard.
2: We uh, we we had a, a, a dear friend pass away uh, at our congregation recently, Mister uh, Mister Hennigan, and he rocked when his he, memory a blessing. Yes, when he was a young man, uh, there were pictures at his memorial service, all over his memorial service, and he had this killer, and I mean killer, handlebar mustache for a significant portion of his life i saw some of those pictures yeah and i i almost like i was really truly considering shaving everything except for the handlebar mustache and showing up at shul the next shabbat like that uh so i don't think that there's anything wrong with actually cutting you know your beard and whatnot as long as your significant other your wife doesn't uh (laughs) doesn't hate it i think you should be good okay um Yes, Andre says Canada is international, so I guess we are international. There you go. I knew that. I, I Andre, I thought of you and,
1: and many of your brothers and sisters up there that, that uh, we know, and I, I knew that I was like, oh, wait a minute, I knew that. Should I say intercontinental? No, wait, because we're on the same continent, right? Canada and...
2: Okay, let's let's move I'll to stop talking. Now.
1: <laughs> let's <laughs> <take> <laughs> another sip of coffee.
2: Let's let's move to this email. I got this minutes before we went uh, on air today. This is from uh, a friend who is in the chat room right now, and basically she is saying this is from Sarah. Sarah is basically saying that the the small group that she goes to has this song that they uh, have in in their worship song rotation, and it's by a guy named Leonard Cohen. And the song is Hallelujah. Now, to be honest with you, I was a little confused at... That uh, was in Shrek. That's where I first heard that song. I know he had it way before that, but it was like in the movie Shrek with like Mike Meyer and those guys. I did not know that. Yeah. I yep. did not know that. Okay. So anyway, she... Uh, she Now, to be honest with you, when she first started emailing, mean, she was sending some responses from other people, so I was confused. I don't know this song. I don't know who Leonard Cohen is. I don't know anything about this. Honestly, I don't remember it from Shrek either. That that's still I'm still not having a uh, spark of of memory uh, as to what this song is or who Leonard Cohen is. And but also, there was a, a YouTube video
1: that got a lot of hits of uh, I think it was the IDF's uh, choral you know, chorus group oh, singing the right. song. That's right. So, like, that's right. Israeli military band. Still never saw awesome. it. Wow. I,
2: I saw it getting posted all over uh, Facebook. And yeah, we need
1: to work on your internet presence, man.
2: <laughs> uh, uh. Face, Facebook really, uh, really annoys me now. I feel like it's all, uh, you know, people post stuff that is like, anyway, okay. Okay. So uh, she sent, oh, so I responded to her, she sent over some lyrics, our friend here, Um. I don't know who Leonard Cohen is. No, I do not know who Leonard Cohen is. Um, I'm sorry. Anyway, so Leonard Cohen uh, wrote this song. She sent over the lyrics of this song. Now, I don't know anything about this song, so I'm just coming at this purely from a clean slate. clean slate here. Listen to some of these lyrics. Now, I've heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It uh, goes like this. The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the battle, uh, the baffled king composing hallelujah. But then in the second, uh, in the second verse, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew her. She tied you to a chair, to a kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair and from your lips, she drew the hallelujah what
1: yeah she's or he's conflating like david and Bathsheba with samson and delilah and other midrashic stuff
2: i would not put that in i would not put that in any worship why that should not
1: be part of anybody's (laughs) uh if like if if, praise and worship time or anything
2: if my if the leaders of my congregation were like hey we got a new song for you we're all gonna (laughs) we're all gonna sing this on shabbat i would have to. it says caleb wait a minute
1: but it says the most frequent word is hallelujah. Oh.
2: See, but the, you, this is this maybe Why be, are you such Why are you a hater? Uh, yeah. Caleb's a hater. Uh anyway, I I have to agree with Sarah on this. I don't think that this is appropriate for worship. I don't think that this should be in a worship lineup. Um Yeah, I just I'm 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 not
1: I agree. All joking aside. All
2: joking aside. Yeah,
1: I, I agree.
0: Uh,
2: I, my, I did have one positive
1: thing to say. If that song, because it was in popular culture, it got a lot of mileage, a lot of uh, you know play. If that caused someone to go, "Oh, hallelujah!" That, I think I remember that from the Bible, you know. And then they pick up their Bible and start reading. But definitely not not something like oh okay let's 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 get the worship team to
2: practice this you know is teach it to everybody is gary listening to a different show <laughs> he, he gary just posted this huge long rant about one Torah theology in our in our on our uh uh, our Oh, he he says in preparation for, ah uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Let's move on then. Since
1: I think it says I've got a 17 year old here laughing. All right. That's <laughs> our target audience. That's our low. Uh, yes, exactly. If we can, our- if
2: we can hit the 17 year olds, we're good. We are, we're doing good. Okay. Give us your children. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. I don't even have a sound clip for that.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Um, let's see here. Let's move on. Uh, t- today, we're going to be talking about something called One Torah theology. The reason that uh, we're talking about One Torah theology is because Rob and I hold to One Torah theology, now, and it's
1: actually a word in the Bible.
2: One Torah. Yeah. Y- yes. Absolutely, it is. As opposed to Messianic Judaism.
1: Correct. That's not. There is no word for that in the Bible. Also so, correct. That's one of the things I think we need to, to bring to our discussion. Is Label, these label wars that happen, like especially anti-Semitic, right? Uh, these kind of things that come up. Anyway, I don't – I'm not going to hijack anymore. You keep going and I'll jump in.
2: No, you're totally fine. It's called The Rob and Caleb Show, dude. <laughs> okay. So one Torah theology, what is one Torah theology? One Torah theology is derived from several different verses in the Torah where it says uh, there shall be one Torah for you and for the sojourner among you, or for there shall be one Torah for the native born and for the one who sojourns among you. So uh, some people say that this is in reference to sacrifices. And that's one of the objections to one Torah theology. But let's, let's... before we get into objections, let's talk more about what one Torah theology is. So one Torah theology states that God has one people, okay? It's the people of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that, that everyone's Jewish. I want to make that abundantly clear from the, from the outset of this conversation. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean that everyone's Jewish. It means that every, everyone who is brought into covenant status through the blood of the Messiah Yeshua Is part of Israel. Now we see this even before uh, the covenant was given at Sinai and uh, and whatnot. And the reason we see this is because when the when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, it says that it was a mixed multitude, so it wasn't just the descendants of Jacob that came out of Israel, or I'm sorry, came out of Egypt. Pardon me. It was a mixed multitude, so we have to assume that there were other uh, nationalities that were coming up that were called Israel. At this point, we have to assume that there were some Egyptians who who believed uh, what Moses was saying uh, about God and put the blood on the doorpost, and they came up with the children. Not only of Jacob. that,
1: yep. both sons of Joseph
2: had an Egyptian mother. Yeah, exactly. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that means they're not Jewish, according to Halakha. <laughs> according to whose Halakha, though? And maybe we should define. According to the, according to the, uh, Caleb, the. one Torah or two, mm-hmm. one Torah mm-hmm. or
1: two. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's my new line. One Torah or two.
2: Okay, so we, we have we okay. have we have we have Christians who are listening to this. They have they probably have no clue what halacha means. Halakha is a Hebrew word. It means it's, to walk. It's from the word to walk, and it means the way that we live or the way that we walk. The, and when we say it's our halacha, that means it would be like our way of living, our rule book, if you will. Torah is is what lays out our halakha. It lays out the way that we live. But Keep- the
1: way that I was just using it tongue-in-cheek, the, the halakha, capital H, is the rabbinic term. In the oldest rabbinic text we have, the Mishnah, uh, the halakha is what the rabbis say is the way that uh, every Israelite is obligated to uh, observe commandments all right you heard that
2: that's right okay so let's keep going what we believe what rob and i believe is that all of the covenants are connected um we'll talk about promise theology here in a few seconds uh this is i, I know that for a lot of the people uh in in the chat room and whatnot this is all old old stuff for you you might uh, already Hold to one Torah theology, and you might think, oh, why do we have to talk about this? Well, one of the reasons we have to talk about this is, one, because my dentist asked me to, and uh, the other reason is because, you know, as people who hold to one Torah theology, we are constantly having to to defend it. Uh, It's something that uh, comes up on a daily basis, and it's new for a lot of people. And so we need to not only be able to be well-versed in what we believe, but we need to be able to uh, tell other people what we believe and to defend it. And what's beautiful about defending it
1: is that the scriptures does it for us. Mm-hmm. The scriptures defend it for us. In other words, there's a deep, deep shalom that we enjoy when we build on the words of Messiah Yeshua, which is, he says, that's like building your house on a rock. The wind's going to come, the storm's and your house is going to stay standing. That's right. Uh, that's where we want to be. Why, why would we want to build on anything but rock? Uh, the problem that we're, we're seeing in the body of Messiah among uh, some who ascribe themselves to, quote, messianic Judaism, in particular there's institutions that uphold certain interpretations of that, is that um, what we've seen is a leaning towards accepting what we call a two-Torah model. That's right. A two-Torah. So, uh, and what two-Torah is, is, is that there was a written Torah given and there is an oral Torah given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And the Jewish people, particularly the rabbis at the helm, uh, embody for every generation what is called oral Torah. And that is a model that has an expanding canon rather than a closed canon. So for for Caleb and me and, and the staff at Torah Resource Institute, and we know many of the students that come to Torah Resource, uh, we hold to a fixed canon. But there uh, are those who hold to what we call two Torah. One one of the Torah that they hold to is fixed, indeed. The other is an expanding oral Torah that is has the same authority. And that... Uh, canon has expanded to include texts such as the Mishnah, the Babylonian Talmud, some even like the Zohar and uh, Kabbalistic literature, that the the rabbinic interpretations through the centuries all have their source in the authority of the second Torah called uh, Oral Torah. Yeah, and but- there are those who are disciples of Yeshua who are playing around with the idea of that that is in fact
2: true and what you basically what rob is saying is is that you have people within the messianic movement now who are giving up on what is known as sola scriptura which is one of the five uh one of the five solas sola scriptura says that the that the word of god the 66 books is the only uh is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice for a believer now I know that we have uh, people who are uh, who hold to other writings that listen to this show. Um, we'll talk about that in a few seconds. But, but the big rub that, that we have uh, within one Torah theology towards the Christian movement, the people, people within the Christian movement have a huge problem with one Torah theology in that we that hold to one Torah theology believe that the Torah of Moses, which is the, the uh, first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. That this law code still applies today. Now, that might blow some minds instantly uh, as you start to think of how this would, uh, what the implications of this might mean. What the traditional Christian church believes is that when when Christ died on the cross, that the Torah was done away with. But actually, the problems with that theology are actually greater. Then, the problems with it <laughs> with uh saying that the Torah is still applicable today, and the reason why is because you would have to ask yourself what is uh you know what's Yeshua saying on on uh on the um uh Oh man, I'm drawing a blank here. In Matthew 5, he's, he's, uh, he's giving his great sermon, okay? And he says, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And uh, so you have to deal with passages where Yeshua says things like that. It's also repeated, I believe, in Luke. And um, so you have these places where Yeshua says that the, that the Torah, the law of Moses, these laws are going to be forever. They're going to be until heaven and earth passes away. And so uh, that's your number one problem is going to be trying to deal with the the places where Yeshua says no that's not true. The other problem that you have is that you have places within the, the Torah, and I'm I'm going to well uh, you you have places inside the Torah where it says uh, f- like for instance in Exodus thirty one seventeen it says that the Sabbath is a sign between me and, and the children of Israel forever. Okay, you have the same thing with the kosher laws in Leviticus 11 it says that these uh, that this should be kept uh, it's a perpetual it's perpetual it's throughout all your generations and so to try to say that, that these laws no longer apply you basically have to say that it didn't mean forever the Bible didn't mean what it meant what what it said um, you have other people who say well Paul had the authority to do away with those things well I I don't believe that. I don't believe that, uh, you know, the question would be that I would have if, if you believe something like that is then why don't we believe in Muhammad? If Muhammad could come along and he could negate some of the things that were in the Bible and say that they, you know, oh, well, what was said here, the, I have something better. Then why wouldn't we follow him? Why wouldn't we follow Joseph Smith? Uh, Joseph Smith came along. He said things and, you know, uh, Mormonism is one of the fastest growing religions in the world today. Um, so why don't I accept Joseph Smith as a prophet? Well, he said things that went contrary to the Torah. The very first thing that was given to us, jump in here anytime, Rob. The very first thing that was given to us by God that was written down was the first five books of Moses, the Genesis through Deuteronomy. It is the measuring stick. Everything else has to match up to that. If anything contradicts that, it's not truly from God. So when when the uh you know when jo- when the book of Joshua comes along it had to match up with torah when the book of psalms came along it had to match up with torah if it goes against torah in any way shape or form those first 5 books of the bible then it's not real since that was the first thing given by god it is our measuring stick everything else has to line up to that if it doesn't line up to that it's not truly from god okay so that's that's number 1 so if paul comes along and says the torah is done away with then we know that he's a false prophet We know that he's a false teacher. He should not be listened to. He should be thrown out. And the same with Yeshua. If Yeshua came along, if Jesus came along and said, the Torah is no, you know, as soon as I die, the Torah is no longer applicable for believers. Then what was he? He was a false Messiah. He was not truly the Messiah if that's what he said. He didn't say that, of course. He said that the Torah was an act till heaven and earth passes away. So uh, the point is, is that, We have to start looking at Paul. We have to start looking at at Jesus with a different set of of lenses. And those lenses need to say, okay, if we truly believe that Yeshua is the Messiah and we truly believe that Paul was a true teacher of Jesus, then what we need to do is we need to assume that it lines up with Torah. It can't be saying that it's done away with. Because if that's what they're saying, they're not true teachers. Anything to say here, Rob? Nope. <laughs> you no,
1: know, anything, anything that we build that doesn't come from the truth of the Torah of Messiah is going to get lopped off. It's going it's not going to survive the, you know what I mean? It, God's not going to keep it around. That should strike a little bit of fear in our heart. Um, his word is the rock.
2: His word is the rock.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, um, so let's keep going. So basically, what we're saying is is that. And now, okay, let's let's talk real quick. I'm trying to hit all of the major objections right in the beginning. Some people are going to say, okay, well, then what about animal sacrifice? Shouldn't we be sacrificing animals right now? Then, well, uh, within the Torah, there are specific regulations that are given for for sacrificing. What are those regu- regulations? I'm going quickly here because uh, this is this is old hat stuff, and I, I really want to get to uh, I really want to get to some specific scriptures. Um, what are some of those regulations? Number one is that you have a priesthood that's established and that it's from, uh, the tribe of Levi, Levi. Okay. So you have the Le- Levitical priesthood that's established. Number two is that you have the temple. Sacrifices are only allowed to be given at the temple in Jerusalem. The Torah is very clear about this. I met some messianics, uh, about a year ago, just under a year ago who said, no, the Torah never says that. Um, and yes, Andre, that was <laughs> that was a wrestling yeah, the to- soundtrack. The Torah says, "In clip. the
1: place that I shall choose." Exactly, and, and he- we we know from the testimony of David from the rest of the Tanakh, and Yeshua affirms is the city of the great King. There's no disputing. Um, it's true that the word Jerusalem does not occur in the Torah. That's under that's maybe
2: that's what that person is saying,
1: but it's clear if you accept the canon, you can't. It, it's it's. It's not even something to dispute.
2: Yeah, you can't sacrifice anywhere except for the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, and so um, since we don't have a temple right now, uh, now I know that this is disputed by... Now, there's a difference between sacrifice and slaughter.
1: Like, you know, I mean, so maybe the person was in that realm. In terms of slaughtering an animal, right, you don't have to be in Jerusalem. We're talking about the... Like Leviticus, like where a korban, right? There's yep. no way you don't bring a korban. You can't do a shlemim offering. You can't do a mincha. You, you know, there's no sin offering. Rob's using don't. a lot
2: of Hebrew words here. These are all different offerings. The, the burnt offerings, uh, all that, yeah, anyway. burnt okay. offerings and
1: fellowship offerings, sin offerings. I mean, Leviticus 1 through, you know, the first several chapters of Leviticus outline what those are. Some of them are voluntary. Some of them are obligatory.
2: And whether you be, whether you believe the Torah is applicable for believers today or not, if the Jews had control of the Temple Mount right now, where the mosque sits, okay, and we, even if you don't believe that that's where the temple should be, okay, we've had that discussion before. But uh, if the Jew, if the Jewish people, the religious Jewish people in Israel, had control of the Temple Mount where that mosque sits, they would build the temple. The te- Temple Institute says that they can have it up in a month. I don't know if that, how that's even possible, but. Um, they would have
1: list the help of Shadim.
2: There you go. Shady people.
1: Shadim. No, they have that. (laughs) I think, I think one of those guys found the ring that Solomon used to control evil
2: spirits. Oh, and when he puts it on, he becomes, uh, invisible one ring to rule them all kind of a thing.
1: Or they create golems. <laughs> that okay, we're going way off base here. Okay, uh, so so I, if they, I, it, I, the, I had to get I had to get that song out of my head, that the, Leonard Cohen one with all the, the point.
2: Chords. The whole point here is that if the J- Jewish people did have uh, control of the Temple Mount today, they would be sacrificing whether or not Christians jumped on board with them or not. So sacrifices would still be going on if they had control of the Temple Mount. They lost control of the Temple Mount in seventy A.D. Uh, now, the question automatically comes from people who are not one to. And, or, and this are, is the endure, the fact that sorry, Caleb, but the fact that there's no Temple Mount is the enduring
1: weight of Yeshua's words. Mm-hmm. In other words, he said not one stone would be left upon another, and pronounced a judgment. I mean, that's just it, that's what our scripture says. That's the the same scripture that Tovia Singer says is one of the most anti-Semitic text in the new
2: testament is matthew 23 so i want to get into the to to the sacrificial system here for a few seconds because this is a big this is a big hitter uh for people who oppose one tour theology basically the uh, the question automatically comes are you then saying that if the temple was around today or if yeshua came back and the the, and he was there and, and the temple was built ezekiel's temple was built are you saying that we would sacrifice again since the Torah is still applicable for believers today. The answer—the short answer is yes, absolutely. Of course we would. That also is very shocking for a lot of Christians because they think that Yeshua came, he fulfilled that part of the Torah. And so why in the world would we do it again? The question that I would have is what were uh, sacrifices for in the first place? A lot of Christians don't think through this. The blood of bulls and goats never took away Sin from the people. It was a faith in the coming Messiah that looking forward, it was a picture of what the Messiah would do and faith in that Messiah that took away the sin of the people. It never was the act of slaughtering an animal. It was the faith in the coming Messiah. Faith alone is what saves a person. So we believe that sacrifices will be given again, as it was a picture of the Messiah who was going to come it will be a picture of the Messiah that did come. All it is is a picture. No matter where it is in time, all it is is a picture. So yes, we will use that picture again. And all of Torah, I think, is like that. All of Torah is a picture. If you start celebrating the the festivals like uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Passover, all these things, all of these festivals festivals, all they are are pictures of what the Messiah will do. And we know for a fact, Zechariah tells us, in the end of Zechariah, that we will all go up and celebrate in the temple, Sukkot. And what do we have to do for Sukkot? There are several things that we have to do to properly celebrate Sukkot. And that is sacrifice. We have to sacrifice. So, it doesn't make any sense for, for Zechariah to tell us that all of the nations are going to go, go up and in the end times And celebrate Sukkot together And Egypt is iffy in that passage It looks like Egypt is going to say no And God's going to strike him with a plague And so uh, Part of celebrating Sukkot Is doing this, the Sukkot sacrifices Caleb there's. I'm
1: just going to step I'm going to step back One uh, stride here Go for it Hopefully I won't disappear out of the picture When I do that no, uh, what I was going to say is that the the assertion you're making can be challenged on two fronts. One is like maybe an evangelical perspective that assumes it's all been done away. They're going to have certain arguments to, to you, but then there's going to be someone who's uh, what we would call like someone part of the UMJC, I think is one of them, uh, Messianic Judaism stream within that kind of loosely defined group that would also push back and say, sure, there are certain times where these sorts of things will be applicable to non-Israelites, but for the most part, if you believe in Yeshua and you're, non, you're not Jewish, none of, the, none of the Torah applies to you except for just a few minimal things.
2: Okay, and so the so in other words, there's two different two different types of pushback yeah. you can get from two different sectors. So so let's let's address first of all the uh and actually let's see here. I have um okay, let's play this clip. Uh you know what? I didn't I didn't pull up my clips yet and actually all of my computer is running so slow. It's going to take me a few seconds here. Let me get to this real quick. Um I want to play a clip and I totally forgot to do that. Da, 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 da. Oops. Give me a second here. Sorry, everyone. Bear with me. This shows how uh, (laughs) me producing this show can go horrifically wrong. Okay, I'm almost there. Man, my computer's running so slow. This is frustrating. We need some, some, like, elevator music or something. I guess that, silence is
1: okay. We can it I, gives people a chance to like go wow. Wow. It's quiet.
2: <laughs> I keep getting the uh spinning beach ball of death here. Come on. I'm I'm like two two files away. I've got to get a new computer. Okay, 29. There we go. Okay. <laughs> We're ready. It's every, I know you've been Don't waiting worries. for long enough. Here Don't we go. Worries. Here we go.
0: We look at the Hebrew Roots Movement where people are saying, you've got you've to keep Torah. You've got to keep Torah. And the whole premise of that is envy. It's anti-Semitism that drives the Hebrew Roots Movement.
2: Okay, I want to stop this real quick. He he lumps two things in real quick. This is by the way, Michael Stebakoff, who is a self-proclaimed uh, messianic rabbi who uh, teaches out of Florida. He is a he's on the steering committee of the IAMCS. He is uh, the leader of a congregation down there. I believe it's MJAA. It might actually be UMJC. I'm throwing a lot of letters out here for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. These are all messianic groups. Um, so in terms of in terms of messianic Judaism. He's definitely established himself within the mainstream of Messianic Judaism. These groups do not believe that the Torah is for Jew and Gentile alike. In fact, one Torah theology is quite a small niche within Messianic Judaism or Messianic faith is what I like to say. And we like to say that because we believe that any, obviously the Gentiles who come to faith in the Messiah are uh, attached themselves to Israel and therefore Abraham is their father. Uh, as the scripture clearly states, I cannot stress that enough. Um anyway, so Mr. Stepakoff here is saying that he, he first he says that it's an envy issue. Now I was talking to one of my buddies the other day and he said uh, I brought this clip up to him. He said, "You know, my wife and I came to Messianic faith, we we came to Torah not because we wanted to be Jewish, not because we wanted to live a Jewish lifestyle. It had nothing to do with that. We, you know, Take the Judaism, leave the Judaism, whatever. We don't care. The reason we came to Torah is because we wanted to do what God wanted us, to, what God told us to do. That's it. We wanted to obey God. This has nothing to do with envy. And in fact, the, the, the word never says, the 66 books of the Bible never say that, uh, that the Jew- Gentiles are going to be envious of the Jews. Romans eleven eleven does say that the Jews are going to be envious of the Gentiles. Wow, right? So I wonder how this guy would uh,
1: interpret that.
2: Then. Well, he, I I can only assume that he'd say, well, that passage speaks of salvation. It says that that uh, the salvation will be given to the Gentiles and the Jews will be will be envious. Okay, granted, but when you when you talk to the Orthodox Jews, they're not looking at the Gentiles and saying, oh man, I want to be Christian so bad because the, because they're saved. However, what we do see is we see the Jews being extremely upset and extremely envious because the Gentiles are now having a relationship with God. And how are they doing that? They're doing it through first salvation, through the Messiah Yeshua, through the blood of the Messiah, and that's bringing them into a true relationship with God. And what happens when someone comes into a true relationship with God? They're sanctified. They're sanctified unto God. How are believers sanctified? All Christians, whether they want to believe it or not, are sanctified the same way. They're sanctified by the Torah, whether they want to admit it or not.
1: By the word of God. By the word of God. is truth, right? That's what Yeshua says in his prayer in the Gospel of John.
2: And not only that, but
1: look at... The word
2: is is the word of God. It's It's the Torah, it's the prophets, it's the gospel... When we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and the, and uh, that is that is a trigger word for a lot of Pentecostals and whatnot. I'm not saying that all of a sudden you're falling down speaking in tongues, but when you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, what happens? You are a changed person, and that change is evident to everyone. How? Because because your whole life changes. It might, uh, it might be in kindness. It might be that you stop, uh, you know, that, you're, that you stop lying, that you stop drinking, that you stop, I don't know, all, all sorts of different things. Your life changes. You become a new person. And you know what? All of those things are Torah. Not lying, not gossiping, not murdering. All these things are Torah, whether or not people want to believe it or not. This is all Torah. So the big things that people glob onto when they see one Torah theology is, oh, you guys are saying that I have to keep kosher. You guys are saying that, we, that I have to keep the Jewish festivals. They're not Jewish festivals. They're God festivals. But uh, nonetheless, you guys are saying that uh, y- you know I have to wear these tassels on the, on the corners of my garments. Well, yes, those are all parts of Torah, but they are not Tor- they're not the whole of Torah. The whole of Torah is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is commentary. Okay? Um, so now, Mr. Stepikoff... Uh, so my point is, is that uh, envy... He brings up envy. I think that actually... And look, Mr. Stepikoff is a Jewish man, and he is very upset that Gentiles are keeping the Torah. That, to me, sounds like jealousy. Just like Romans 11, 11 says.
0: It's anti-Semitism that drives the One Law, One People movement. It's to say... We're the Jews. We're Israel. We're the chosen ones.
2: We- oh, okay, wait. Hang on just a sec. I want to uh, stop right there. We're not saying that we're the Jews. He knows not of what he speaks. We're not saying that we're the Jews. Now, the two house people might say that, that, that they're Jewish, but we're not saying that we're Jewish. In fact, my father is Jewish. His mother was Jewish. So even the Orthodox would say that he's Jewish. I do not have a Jewish mother by blood. So the Orthodox would say, I'm not Jewish. So I just, to keep the peace, I just say, I'm not Jewish. Mr. Stepakov might actually consider me Jewish. And that would be my next question. How, you know, it's been so muddled. How, uh, how would you, you know, for someone who says, well, the Jews should be keeping Torah. Well, who's, who's a Jew? Are you going to take father is Jewish, mother is Jewish? Both are, have to be Jewish. What about the person who has a great-great-grandmother who's Jewish? What about the person who doesn't know that their mother is Jewish? If they are not keeping the Torah, then are they doing something wrong? Because they're Jewish by blood, right?
0: They're the people of God. Look at us. Look at how we keep all these laws. And, and these Jews, oh, especially these Messianic Jews... Oh, especially these Messianic rabbis. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not scholars. They don't keep the law. They tell people it's okay to eat pork. They tell people God loves you anyway if you worship on Sunday.
2: Okay, so one of the problems that you have— Does he apply Torah to his own life? Do we know? Yes, but he says that he doesn't have to. He does it – Mr. Okay. Mr. Oh Mr. Step, Mr. uh keeps Torah because it's a cultural thing. Now, this is what a lot of Jewish people say, is that that the Torah was given to the Jews as an identity marker. And now you have to ask the question, what parts of Torah? They're going to say certain parts of the Torah was given to Jews as identity markers. You say, what parts of Torah? They say, okay, well, like keeping Sabbath, keeping kosher, keeping the festivals. Okay, well, what other parts of Torah? And actually, the Christians do this a little bit, too. Because what the Christians are going to say is, oh, no, no, no. You can't say that you can go cheat on your wife now. That's part of the uh, moral aspect of the law. Okay? Um, But what... What you have with things like you so, so he would say you have to be faithful to your wife, but you do not have to love God. I don't, you know what? With Stepakoff, I don't, I don't know because uh, he, he keeps. I, explain he, this to
1: me. I, I explain this to me, Caleb. Okay, I'm talking to the Lord God, King of the universe. Yeah. Creator of all things. And I say to him, you know what? I don't have to love you. I don't have to love you. I, at any time i could choose not to love you imagine that imagine imagine a husband saying that to his wife imagine a wife saying that to her husband you know i'm here because i choose to be here but i don't have to be here i could i could leave at any time because i could that's in my power to do so is that that is that what people think
2: that's scary well, um, one of the issues is with this whole thing, you know, back to the Christian idea that uh, morality, that, we're, that we need to keep the moral aspects of the law, but the ceremonial and the civil aspects of the law have been done away with. First of all, you don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And we'll get into some of this. We haven't even gotten to our, we haven't even gotten to our verses yet. Um, here's, here, here's a couple
1: verses. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. It's literally, it's just pneumaticos. It just means spiritual things, things of the spirit. You know that when you were, this is the ESV, pagans, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. You, and the word pagans there is ethnos, when you were Gentiles. Ephesians 2.11, remember that formerly you were Gentiles in the flesh. Okay, these people who are saying, oh, well, you're just a non-Jew, so that doesn't apply to you because you're a non-Jew. They're, they're creating a new category, and they want to say, no, you're still a Gentile. So when in fact what the gospel does is that both Jews and Gentiles, and we learn this, Peter says it very, very plainly, In the middle of Acts 15, that all hearts, whether Jew or Gentile, are made, are purified by the faith in Messiah Yeshua, by what Messiah did on our behalf. And that therefore, we're all new creations. Whether you're born physically Jewish or not, or a Gentile, in Messiah, you are a brand new creation. Therefore, your life is not your own. The life that you have as a new creation is, by definition, the life of the resurrected Messiah. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. That is your life. And it's his word, it's his spirit, that is, if any parte, any participation you have in eternity is because of that. And, and therefore, you have a new relationship to the Torah. Because you're not... You, you, your sin full nature now has died and, and you've been given power by the Ruach HaKodesh to grow in discernment of sin in the old man and putting it to death. If you're a, a Jewish person who, even if you're trained as an Orthodox rabbi, you know, may there be many that come to faith in Yeshua, your you're a new creation, and your relationship to all the people you went to Yeshiva with, to the rabbi that you studied under, or rabbis, etc. You have to. You're now looking at all of that and interpreting that through new eyes. You you you're not defined by that anymore. You can't be both. You are defined now by the life that is, that is Yeshua, and if you're truly in Him then that reframes your whole world. That's right. Whether you grew up in orthodoxy or paganism or whatever, you become, you're now new creation life and you have to start integrating what you, you know, and learning to discern old man from new man. What I see is we have uh, this section of, of the body of Messiah that are enthralled with Hasidism or things Jewish. And some of them happen to be physically born Jewish and so that gets them this entry card that now they can go and, and uh, interact and kind of maybe keep, keep their faith in Yeshua and the, keep their, their candle under a bushel right? so that they can go into these circles and um, quote study Torah or to learn about the true Judaism of how to really worship God and it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a dead end street that's a
2: dead end street I want to touch real quick, I just, I want to say one thing and then we're going to move uh, on to some verses here. Uh, number one, back to what I was saying, chopping the, the Torah up into civil, ceremonial, and moral does not work. Um, you know, for instance, you have a... Yeah, those are not biblical categories. And not only that, but you have something like the Sabbath, which uh, if, if it's not a moral law, then why is the death penalty attached to it? You have all, I mean, you, and you can go through all sorts of different laws. Uh, it just doesn't work. Let's move on. Uh, in your show notes, everyone in the chat room, thank you for all the discussion that's going on. It looks like some people are getting fired up. Um, in the show notes, I put Mark 7-9. I'm sure that most of our listeners know that that is a, a typo. It should be seven Let's read this because uh, this is one that comes up quite often. Uh, I'll read from the NASV, NASB first. It says, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he, that is Jesus, declared all foods clean. And from the Net Bible, for it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then goes in out into the sewer. This means all foods are clean. So it sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty big slam dunk right there that Jesus declared all foods clean. And that we no longer have to keep kosher. And this is one of the passages, one of several passages that people go to uh, to show us one Mars that uh, that we can eat pork if we want to, or we can and that, eat shrimp. And do Do Messianic Jews actually say the same thing?
1: Do you know of any that said? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I wonder if Stepakov said he could eat pork if he wanted to. I oh, mean, absolutely. That's just absolutely. Without, and it's not a, okay.
2: Um, and so... This passage, and I mean, uh, I don't even know where to start with this. Okay, so this passage basically in in Mark 7, Yeshua is talking about, this is the passage where he's talking about washing your hands, okay? And his his disciples don't wash their hands the way that the Pharisees want them to wash their hands. The Pharisees have uh, this extra-biblical halakha. We're going back to that word halakha. They have this extra-biblical halakha on how hands need to be washed. And so Yeshua says, "No, no, no! Hey, whoa, whoa! Don't try to put your man-made laws onto my people because it's what is inside that matters, not what's outside." So, first of all, at the end of seven uh, of Mark seven nineteen, he's still talking about clean and unclean. He's still talking about ritually pure. And that what really matters is being pure on the inside, not on the outside. He's still talking about that. And that gets lost in the in the uh, minds of so many people. They They think that he automatically switches somehow in verse 19 to food. The passage is not about food. It's never been about food. It's about ritually pure and unpure things. Not only that, but believe it or not, the King James Version actually got it right and I don't have let's see here let me pull it up would you like to explain why the well it's a it's a long explanation i'm sure kjb strongs and let me bring this up here okay
1: the parallel in matthew 15 makes it clear he says eating with unwashed hands does not defile you i mean it yeah i mean so. why not just look and say oh okay so matthew kind of clarifies it maybe i need to go back and Look at Mark.
2: Well, listen to the, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a valid point and uh, I I think a slam dunk point right there. But uh, Mark 719 says in the KJV says, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. Well, that seems like quite a uh, contrast to thus he declared all foods clean. And there is a textual variant here. Um, I'm not going to get into the textual variant, but there is a textual variant, uh, and I think it's...
1: And there's an article that Tim Haig wrote, yeah. it's free for download at torresource.com, that gets into that the technical aspect. The point is, it's... Yeah, that's a silly... There's no way really to defend that, unless you're just committed. I mean, you'd have to really be stuck, I think, to yeah. really defend that
2: another passage people always go to is acts 15 and uh this makes zero sense at all Uh, acts 15 is the jerusalem council and they come up with these four laws that the gentiles should keep and then what the uh detractors such as the the messianics who say no we don't need to keep Torah anymore or the christians who say no we don't need to keep Torah anymore they all say oh well the gentiles were given four things well it doesn't really work because murder is not part of that adultery is not part of that um, you know, there's uh, gossip, lying. All these things are not wrapped up in these four laws. Uh, and so the common uh, response to that would be, oh, well, uh, that's because it's th- those are, those are uh, moral things. So, uh, so what they're talking about is four things that are extra that aren't moral laws. That still doesn't work because at the end of this passage in, in uh, Acts 15, it says, For Moses is taught in the synagogues, right, each, each week. So, first of all, it assumes that the Gentiles are going to be in the in the synagogues listening to to the Torah being preached, and what does that what does that part mean? Well, we have to
1: remember the time frame too. This is early on, right? And these are definitely we know we in Acts in chapter ten we saw um, Cornelius, right? It said. We know that he is worshiping the God of Israel. He's not inventing a new religion, right? He's learning from the scriptures, so on and so forth. He's He is conforming to the Torah. He is on a trajectory of conforming his life in more and more to reflect God's Torah. And that's what Peter then, in Acts 15, when he says, You know, brothers, that it was that God chose to for the gentiles to hear the gospel by my mouth and to believe and he's referring back to the his interaction with cornelius remember peter was you know we we get it in the gospels and we get it later peter is he's a he's a rough rock right he's got all these (laughs) rough edges that are being he was hesitant to go to the gentiles um, even though he knew that Yeshua had said that it, from Acts chapter 1 that he would go, that they would go, that this message was uh, to go out to the whole world. In any event, Peter in Acts 15 is saying, I testify to the turning of the Gentiles towards the God of Israel. He's talking about Cornelius, who is on that trajectory, obviously conforming his life to Torah more and more. He's not in, Cornelius didn't invent a have a little church you know, that was this separate little thing. And Peter went and endorsed it, gave his stamp of approval. And now he's coming back and says, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, these, these non-Jews are starting their own church, and you know that we're going to let them do their own thing. That's, that's not what this is about. These, this letter was to go out to encourage them, just as it says in Acts 16. They took copies of this letter throughout all the uh, communities in Asia, and they were all edified. By receiving this letter, it encouraged them in their uh, growth in knowledge of God's Word, helping them understand um, what that, and, and to accelerate that growth, right? These are people, non-Jews did not have access to the Torah. You couldn't go to a bookstore and buy a Torah scroll, right? I mean, you, you had to have, most people wouldn't have close to the amount of money that that would cost. You learned sc- Scripture by association with the community that taught the scripture, and in so doing you learned it so this extra letter was it was a little uh, primer right it was a little uh, accelerant if you will uh, to help them get some basics down very quickly to help them make the most and absorb the most in their synagogue experience. That's my that's
2: my view. So anyway, uh, basically, you know, there's all these different passages that people are going to bring up. Colossians two sixteen is is a big one. Um, and maybe we should touch on that. We should touch on two sixteen. Um, anyway, back to Acts fifteen real quick. Acts fifteen uh, In Acts fifteen twenty one. It says for Moses of old, and so they've given them. They've given the Gentiles these four laws, and then and after these four laws, it says for Moses. From ancient generations ha- has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? It means that the Gentiles are going to be in the synagogues l- hearing Moses, and they're going to pick up the rest of of uh, of the Torah. Basically, there's an article on TorahResource.com you can uh, check out, and uh, my father goes through each one of these four laws and shows that these are things that the that the uh, Jewish communities would have kicked Gentiles out of their congregation immediately. No questions asked. You do this, you're kicked out. And so basically the the Jerusalem council says, tell them that they have to observe these four things because then from that they'll be let into the synagogue. They won't be kicked out for one of these four things and they'll start learning the Torah. I think it's uh, pretty clear. Before we move on to Colossians 2.16, I want to play another clip. Um, So... This is interesting because this is Stepakoff again. And actually, I pulled some clips from Kaiser right before we uh, before we came on the air. So we'll play those in a few seconds. This is from Stepakoff. And uh, this is a very, very common uh, argument, not just from Messianics, but from Christians. Okay?
0: But if you're going to come in and everyone in the world ought to be doing this, and everyone in the world... Is in sin unless they're worshiping on the right day, and the right day is today, or Friday night. Well, I'm going to say, Sorry, Charlie, that's not what we teach because it's not Bible, it's not right. In defending the church. <laughs> I started off this message with uh, some kind of harsh words for Gentile Christianity, didn't I? And I don't mean that in a, uh, a way of condemnation exactly either it's supposed to be an exhortation to look at the wrongs of the past and deal with anti-semitism deal with the envy and look to the secret of the Jews stop being jealous look to the secret the secret is not the law the secret is not the law not the law of Moses anyway and not the 613 commandments as a whole The secret is the law that Abraham knew as the Torah and the one that David talked about. That's upon your heart. The one that the prophet Jeremiah prophesied, I will, after those days, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The covenant I made with their fathers, which they broke.
2: Okay so he's talking about Jeremiah 31. Where, I don't I don't even know what he's talking about. Okay, he's talking about Jeremiah 31. He's talking about the new covenant. And basically what he's saying is and I think it's interesting that he kind of he kind of steps on his own toes here because what he does is he's, yeah, <laughs> he he says that uh that that Abraham talked about it and he talk and he says that that uh David talked about it. What and what he's talking about is this new covenant. Okay. The new covenant in Jeremiah 31:31. 31, 31, what's different between the new covenant and the, quote, Old Covenant, okay? The first question would be, what's the Old Covenant?
1: Yeah, that's good.
2: Um, because people, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, people throw around terms and they're not going to define what they are. What is Old Covenant? What the New Covenant is, is that the Torah, the, the Sinai Covenant, will be written on your heart. That you won't have to tell anybody anymore about it. That you won't have to say, love the Lord your God. But that everyone will know. They'll have it written on their heart. They will know it. They will do it automatically. So they will keep kosher. They'll keep the Sabbath. They'll keep all these things automatically. No one will have to tell them
1: to do it. Isaiah says that my house, and Yeshua cites it when he's knocking over the table. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And in that same passage... That Yeshua's citing it talks about, don't let the Gentile say, "Oh, I'm I, uh, God doesn't want me." No. He says the Shabbat is for them too. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't understand how how these people maintain, uh, and perpetuate their, their this ignorance. I, I, it's like he's chewing. It's like this is. It's like he's chewing the wheat that still has the, you know all this just you know, remember chaff around it
2: it's not a lie
0: if you believe it
2: um so <laughs> so yeah, i don't i do here, here's 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 the point Baffles me. here's the Baffles point me. is that abraham did speak about the new covenant and i think abraham was part of the new covenant i think i'm part of the new covenant i don't believe that yeshua uh like you could only become part of the new covenant after his death. He says, this is my blood. You know, he, he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, uh, at the last supper, right? But, uh, it, I think that Torah was never a way of salvation. Works never save you. Faith in the Messiah saves you. Abraham had faith in the Messiah. It says he believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. David had faith in the Messiah. King David had faith in the Messiah. All these all these great uh, biblical figures all had faith in the coming of the Messiah. That is part of being in the New Covenant. The New Covenant is not time-bound. Throughout all history, backwards and forwards, if somebody believes in the saving blood of the Messiah, Yeshua, they're saved through the New Covenant. So then the question has to be, well, then why would David or why would Moses or any of these biblical figures have to keep Torah ever? Why would they ever have to keep the Sabbath? Why would they ever have to keep kosher? The answer is because that's how God sanctifies himself, sanctifies his people unto him. He sets, sanctification means being set apart. He sets his people apart through his commandments to us. And people say, oh, I can't believe that you would want to keep the Sabbath. It's such a joy because God gave us his rules. Look, if you have two children, let's say you have two boys. One is 11. One is 10. Irish twins. And you uh, you say to one of them, you're not allowed to steal. You're not allowed to touch the fire. You're not allowed to, uh, you know, all these different rules, Okay. And then you say to the other one, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. So this son has all these rules. He doesn't touch the fire. He doesn't go steal. He doesn't do any of these things. The other one, he touches the fire. He, he goes and he steals stuff. He gets in trouble. He gets put in prison. Which son do you love more? I think it's pretty obvious that you love the son more that you told don't do these things. Why? Because you know, knew that in the end it was going to hurt him. You knew that it was stuff that he shouldn't be doing. God's the same, same way. Someone who says to me, oh, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't have to eat kosher. No, I get to. God gave me these commandments and he gave them to me. He gave them to me as a child of the Messiah, as a child of God. I don't have to do anything. I get to because God loves me. He loves me because he gave, and he gave me his commandments. Proof that he loves me is that he gave me his commandments. Not only that. At the end, we know end of Matthew, right?
1: Make disciples, right? That's that's what his mission is, a disciple-making machine, right? Well, what are we studying? What are we learning? Disciple means learner. What are we learning? To observe everything I've commanded you. Well, that includes one thing, is learning the Shema and making the Shema your core foundation for understanding all the torah which implies that you're not just learning the shema and that's it but you're learning the shema as a priority you're learning that that is in the torah in the written torah that that is the expression in god's word of our, our relationship of love of the relationship of love between us and our, our heavenly father And then that is to spill over into our relationships with others. And then from there, from that anchor, from that posture, from that stance on that solid rock of the Shema, which by the way said starts Shema Yisrael, we are to then understand how all the other laws flow from that perspective. They all depend on it. They all hang on that. That's what he teaches. That's indisputable. But it's, it's as if some of these uh, Jewish teachers who are accusing non-Jews of being envious, in other words, so me, I'm a, non, I'm, a, I'm a Gentile, or I was a former Gentile, but I'm still not a Jew. You can say whatever that is. Israelite. That I, my, my rabbi, right, Yeshua, my teacher, my savior, commands me to Orient my life. If I'm truly in him, I keep his commandments. His commandment is primarily, first and foremost, I am to walk in the truth of the Shema and that that is uh, inseparable from my relationships with other people. That's the core rock for me and that all the other commandments of the Torah depend on that. It seems like there's these people in the body Messiah that want to attack that and say, oh, you can't do that. No, you can't do this, this, or this because we have this other group of men that we we're trying to appease, we're trying to please and appease, um, and they say that you shouldn't be doing that, and so and we want to be accepted by them. Therefore, you're anti-Semitic and you're envious of us. <laughs> it's it's so it's so twisted and perverted that uh, it's scary, uh, and and you know what that claims like that are are going to that's from the chaff that's going to be burnt away. And so I would just exhort our brothers and sisters out there who cling to that kind of teaching that Stepakoff is giving that I just pray that they grow in discernment in God's word I encourage them to get back to the basics, study the scriptures afresh in prayer with your own eyes, read the word and, uh, start to grow in your discernment of, uh, that separates the Word of God from the traditions of men that 's another uh, part of our mandate as disciples of Yeshua is to not mix those up we It is very, very clear in yeshua 's teachings and it, it is echoed in the the letters that we are to discern according to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter uh, where is it where it says they they mix up the the commandments of God with the, the commandments of men. That is an imperative for us. Why? Because we live in times, Yeshua said, we live in times in first century, and even to today, where those are mixed up. It's, mi- it's a mix of God's word with traditions of men. And unless you get on a solid diet, health diet of God's word, you're not going to be able to know how to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. It's only, it's only when you're anchored in his word and you're in community with others who are doing the same and you have accepted that, yes, this is the yoke of Messiah Yeshua. For the rest of my life, I am his disciple. I am a disciple of Yeshua, the Messiah, the living God of Israel, and I uh, am accountable to his words, that it's by his words that I have life and that, that it's to him all authority is in a heaven and an earth not to some group of rabbis not to quote the jewish people or anything like that and that's not anti-semitic to make that claim in any way that is that's our anchor if you don't have that you have nothing i don't care what brand of of religion you want to stand up for you have nothing if you don't have that and that's where your life is. That's where my life is. And it's a lifetime of learning. I don't cease being a disciple. I'm on a trajectory of growth. And I, I grow daily. I get corrected daily. I get challenged in my relationships. Why? Because God wants to bring forth more fruit. He wants us all to be more fruitful. Right? That's his joy. Why? Because of his grace. He just wants, to, he just wants us to have joy. And that's the joy is in the doing of the commandments in this world what a, it's a joy it's it's hearing this Stepakov guy it's like he doesn't it's like he, he does, i don't know where he's coming from I, it's It's a confused bag of traditions of men late popular labels like anti-Semitism and you know stuff like that with a little bit of word of God sprinkled in and it's a it's a banquet that i don't want to have any participation in that he's eating i don't know i'll stop there
2: and preach it rob <laughs> okay let's move on to uh, Col- uh colossians two sixteen. this is a this is a big one we're gonna uh we've you know there's other passages we could talk about galatians 5 2 uh, maybe that's one that we should really talk about because uh rob's Rob's uh really solid on his circumcision well wait on the other thing on Colossians well let's yeah let's do Colossians well because didn't he quote that I I don't remember let's read it let's read it for everybody who's listening um do
1: you mm-hmm. want to read the whole chapter
2: no, I guess you can. no 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 just well just read Colossians 2:16 therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day there you have it Done, done, and done. That's all you need uh, because uh, it, it, it's clear right there that we no longer have to keep uh, Torah, right? Because it says it right there in Colossians two sixteen. I think That's that right. view is headed for a deep mischief. Okay, go ahead, Rob. Tell me why. Uh, tell me why uh, Colossians. Well, let's read. Let's read the the context starting with two
1: eight. This is ESV. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men or human tradition, right? According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Messiah. Okay, ooh. So the, the core context here is a warning between human tradition and Messiah. Those are those are two things we got to learn to discern. Messiah is the wheat, right? Messiah is the seed. The human tradition is something that uh, is outside the seed. For in Him, that is in Messiah, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's, that means that's referring to Deuteronomy that promised that God would circumcise the hearts of His people. Uh, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Messiah, having been buried with Him in baptism, etc. But it says here uh, that the context is not letting anybody put on you traditions of men, and, and try to make you feel like you're like you're missing out on something, like you're uh, you're excluded from uh, you know the truth because you're not doing this philosophy or this commandment of men. So when I when I see in two sixteen, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. I think it just means that.
2: Well, the, the first thing that we have to uh, now let's go back to what I said. Uh, something at the very beginning, we have to assume that Paul and Yeshua both, okay, are not speaking against Torah. They're n- they cannot say that Torah has been done away with. If they say that, then they are not who they then they are not the people that they claim to be which would be uh, the Messiah and the teacher, uh, you know, a teacher of Yeshua's words. So we have to come into this, uh, with, into this passage, into Colossians 2.16, with the understanding that Paul is not saying that Torah is done away with. Paul affirms in Romans 3.31 that we should be keeping Torah. Does faith therefore nullify the law? May it never be. It establishes the law. Okay, so Paul— He's, just, he's going back to the priority. He's saying that the law is based on the Shema,
1: yeah. you can 't love God without with all your heart and soul and strength without faith why it 's without faith it 's impossible to please him we 've just and recently in our three year cycle we 've been reading the beginning of Deuteronomy where Moses recaps the whole deal between Joshua and Caleb on one hand and the spies on the other the core if difference this is in the Torah written in the Torah that it was faith the people did not have faith they believed a lie they Did not include in their facts By which they were painting their picture of reality The promise That God had given them the land And all they had to do was go up and take it Joshua and Caleb Were anchored in the Shema They had faith They had faith They knew the promises of God And they were standing on the rock And what happened The the rest of the spies Drummed up a whole multitude of people That wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb that's that's the lesson for us. Are we willing to stand anchored on the promises of God in spite of the other people called Israel telling us that that we're anti-Semitic, that all that oh you're a, you're a hater, you know? I mean, those same people they said that God hated them and brought them out to die. That's how that's they started getting into that kind of language in their mind. They were not anchored in the truth of the promises of God. Faith. Is the core. It's a gift. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, there's no way to abide in the Shema apart from faith.
2: Okay, so I'm going to read a conclusion here. I, I actually had not planned on this, and I haven't read this conclusion before. This is from a wonderful book that my father wrote. It's called Ten Persistent Questions Why We Keep Torah. And some of the, I mean, if you are, if we've sparked anything within you and you want uh, some answers, some of the chapters that, uh, uh, My father covers as didn't Yeshua declare all foods clean in Mark seven nineteen. If we're to keep the Torah, what about animal sacrifices? In Peter's vision in Acts ten, did God make it clear that w- there was no longer any need to keep the food laws of the Torah, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, so one of the chapters in here is also about Colossians two sixteen and the entire chapter. Part I have something in my throat. Hang on just a second. Okay, um, so in his conclusion in that chapter, I'm just going to read the conclusion. I don't, maybe this isn't going to hit on anything that we really well, – anyway. Uh, he says, uh, conclusion on uh, Colossians 2, far from being a teacher of Paul that the uh, – uh, I'm sorry, far from being a teaching of Paul that the Torah and its commandments have been set aside, the epistle of Colossians reinforces the need to walk in Yeshua by the same faith through which he is received two, six through seven, a faith characterized by obedience to God's commandments. What Paul was co- combating in the epistle is not teachers who were encouraging the Colossians to keep Torah, but false teachers who were trying to draw the Colossians into their own man made religion, a, rel- a religion that dim- diminished the unique person and work of Yeshua and elevated an outward asceticism with, without having the power for true holiness. Yeah, I agree. Um,
1: that reminds me, of, uh, in uh, in the, what's it, Paul Levertov had a book, FFOZ put together a book, they reprinted this book, Levertov, um, who was a Jewish, uh, I think he was trained in one of the yeshivas in Eastern Europe, Volosian yeshiva, maybe, I don't remember, in the 1800s. Anyway, he, he came to faith in Yeshua and ended up converting to like Anglis, uh, the Anglican Church, I think, in England. Anyway, he wrote a lot of books at, um, that drew on his knowledge of Hasidism, his, you know, the, the exposure that he had to Hasidism and Jewish mysticism to re kind of talk about Christianity from that perspective. He, he, to my knowledge, he didn't continue to keep Torah. As a matter of fact, Levertov said, took the position that Torah was done away for, for everybody. Jews could do it voluntarily. Similar to, it sounds like Levertov and, and Stepakov have some similar theological grounding. In any case, Lebertov says that in one of his books that um, it's possible to keep all the commandments but still not truly love God and that's, I, and still be far from God. That's what it is. That it's possible to keep all the commandments and still be far from God. That it, you cannot have that statement be true and believe Yeshua. Yeshua says the greatest commandment is love God with all your, all your heart soul and strength. That's the greatest commandment. You can't do all the commandments yeah. and, and be far from God. If, if, you're, if you're doing, quote, all the commandments and are far from God, it's because you're not doing all the commandments. Exactly. It means you've, you've, you've got maybe a handful that you're doing, and that's the pharisaical criticism you know, of hypocrisy, that you're trying to appear. You're, you're, you're appearing to others a certain way. But your heart is still, you know, full of dead, it's a sepul- sepulchre, you know, painted nice on the
2: outside, inside, full of dead men's bones.
0: And on uh, the twist of a word, everything changes.
2: Okay, before we get, I, look, I, I know that uh, we're, we're making headway here. We're, at, we're already in an hour and 20 minutes, but I, I really want to touch on Galatians 5.2. Okay? Um, and there's a good reason. I have a, I have a quote here from someone as well. So Galatians 5: two is behold I Paul say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you obviously, circumcision is not only part of uh, is not only a command of the Torah but it is the sign of the covenant right and so I've heard many Christians i 've heard messianics say that we have not uh, circumcised our sons, and the reason why is because uh, Galatians tells us not to. Uh, in fact, Galatians as a whole, the entire book, is is often used to try to say that Torah has been done away with. Uh, I take a completely different view, obviously, of Galatians than I think uh, a lot of people might uh, might within the Christian Church. So, uh, the first question would be: uh, Does that does Paul is Paul telling believers that they shouldn't get circumcised?
1: No, he's not saying that. And, and this is our problem with our English translations on one hand, and our assumptions governing a lot of our translations, that Torah has indeed been done away. But what we know from history is that when Galatians was written, is mid first century, there there was no monolithic, quote, uh, Judaism. It wasn't this monolithic thing to which someone could convert. What you had is you had a highly sectarian uh, population with a crumbling temple leadership leadership in the temple, because the temple was still standing. A lot of what we would think of now as politics and economic problems with the occupation of Rome. Uh, but in any event, when Paul uses, he uses a very specific word here that it's translated circumcision, to be circumcised. It's, he's not talking about the ritual, physical removal of of foreskin. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about uh, out of fear of being excluded that someone is jumping through the hoops of this other local group this th- these troublers, wherever they are, to try to uh instead of fearing God, fearing men and wanting to please men, and so doing uh whatever these extra little rules are to so that they would cease being labeled acrobustia, which means the quote foreskin. And would start to be seen socially among uh the groups that, that, like in real life to be associated with a new team to be t- to uh, now i 've done these things these guys like me now I now I'm an insider in their group, and now they 've recognized me as quote circumcision it's not it's not talking about the physical right of cutting off a foreign skin it's talking about what we would later call a conversion type of thing, but this is earlier than rabbinics, right? This is, this is not a group that is uh, monolithic. The, the debate's about the meaning of circumcision, and uh, I mean, there's a lot that's been written about that um, throughout the Second Temple period. It had all sorts of connotations. Uh, Paul takes us back in Romans 4 to point out this, the only meaning that circumcision has. In Romans 4 is where he clarifies that, that it is a, a sign of the faith that Abraham had when he was before, when he was uncircumcised. That is what it means. That's what circumcision means. And it doesn't have any of these other meanings. It's not how we transfer ourselves from one group that we're uh, feeling shame for being a part of, of in order to become part of some inside group. So now we're like secure in our identity um, or anything like that, because people who start kowtowing to the traditions of men, that's those are the people that have fallen from grace. Those are the people that have fallen from Messiah. Once, Once you start trying to please a group because you, you're afraid, you don't want to be excluded. You want to be seen as an insider. You, you want to fit in you've abandoned your soul <laughs> you've abandoned the truth and that's what these people were doing and Paul is using he's not he's not holding any punches in galatians to clarify look your anchor is in messiah that's why he goes on in chapter 5 to say he reaffirms that the whole torah is kept by you know loving your neighbor as yourself it assumes loving god he assumes that the love of god is there and that that's where the fruit of the spirit comes from, and that these people who are convincing you otherwise they don't even keep the whole law, but they they want to they want you to be zealous for them. They want you uh, they want to exclude you and make it and and you know keep you out of their inner circle so that they can make you uh, jealous for them so you can be you know jump through their little club rules and become part of them, and then you'll be quote accepted. That's, that's what Paul's fighting against there.
2: Okay, so I have a quote here from the IAMCS, which stands for the International Association of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues. This is from one of their position papers. And it's like, I don't know, two, uh, two, uh, what, what's, it, what's it called? One law, two sticks or something like that? Anyway, um, this is going to be fun. Paul circumcised, the quote, Paul circumcised Timothy, whose mother was Jewish but did not circumcise Titus, who was Greek. Paul saw that circumcision was right and good for the Jewish believer in Yeshua, but made no sense for the Gentile. The fact is, Paul did not see the Torah as having the same application to Gentiles as to Jews under the New Covenant. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. If one law, one people, and any doctrinal validity had any doctrinal validity, Paul would have been the one to preach it. Which he did. Uh, uh, He preached no such thing. Yes, he did. Uh, We do not believe the Gentile church is called necessarily to observe Shabbat, the Levitical feasts, the laws of Kashrut, that's kosher, and other uh, mosaic laws that are specific to Israel. I don't know why they would think that they were specific to Israel. How are those laws any more specific to Israel? And it
1: doesn't say that Paul did not circumcise. Here's another thing. What it says is that Titus was not compelled to be circumcised In i other e, convert words, it, it, titus was not forced to be circumcised it doesn't tell us whether he was circumcised or not if we assume he he was still not circumcised means he wasn't forced and it means more specifically if titus was physically circumcised paul is saying look yes titus is circumcised but he was not it's not out of uh, compulsion to uh, uh, be acceptable, yeah, or fit Jewish, in with please, this other group. Yeah, please, the Jewish and we people. We have an early church father tradition that says Titus indeed was circumcised.
2: Here's here's the here's what I thought you were really going to blow up on. Uh, it was when it, when they say Paul circumcised Timothy, whose mother was Jewish. What they're doing is they're taking Mishnaic Halakha and projecting it back on first century Judah it's not even mishneh khalah what is that talmud or even later yeah yeah uh that that a mother makes you jewish back in yeshua's time back in the writing of the apostolic scriptures your father had to be jewish to be con- considered a jew not your mother yeah, that's, and that's so right. to to them to the Jewish people in this passage in, in the in hence
1: the list of men in the genealogies.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so you have they they say uh, Paul circumcised Timothy, whose mother was Jewish, but did not circumcise Titus, who was Greek. In their eyes, Timothy was Greek; he was not Jewish. So this whole thing falls apart from the very beginning because they want to be anachronistic and and read all these. Uh, Read all these way later Jewish laws from oral Torah, which, uh, which Rob spoke about earlier. They want to read these all back into the first century, which is total nonsense. You can't do that. They want to subordinate the
1: apostolic writings to the Talmud. Yeah, exactly. In other words, the Talmud provides the umbrella for us to read the apostolic writings. That is, that that is, there's no way that that is going to uh, give them the truth of the gospel. It's going to smother it. That's putting, that's putting a candle under a bushel. That's right. Rather, we put the apostolic, right? We, we put the light up high. We put the gospel up high. So it gives light to all that are in the house.
2: Okay. Um, Well, I think that's enough for today, I guess. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can always email us. Uh, you can email me, hag at TorahResource.com. You can email Rob R. Vanhoff at TorahResource.com. You can always pick up a couple of different books. There's 10 Persistent Questions, uh, Why We Keep Torah, by my father, Tim Hegg. You can find that on TorahResource.com. You can also find a really, really good little uh, series called It Is Often Said. Those are four little booklets that you can also find on TorahResource.com, which answer uh, many common questions towards one Torah Messianic uh, believers. And if you're not convinced, well, that's okay. But, uh, you know, I, I think that we can prove from the scriptures quite easily that uh, we should be keeping Torah. Anything to say before we go, Rob?
1: No, just a big uh, shout out to all the folks uh, that join in the discussion board um, and not not just on, in our message board live during the show. I uh, Thank you to you guys, but I also want to include those who are just engaged in our Facebook and, and uh, post us, send us emails. We really appreciate it. It helps Caleb and me um, just kind of feel like we're in touch with you. It's not just a one-way uh, communication.
2: That's right. Yeah, send us emails. We love we love getting emails with uh, questions and with topics that we should touch on uh, because it really helps us form the show and uh, helps the conversation, all that kind of stuff, get going. So uh, definitely send in your requests so that we can try to build this show so that it glorifies our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.